When you think about what today represents, the living testimony of our seniors leading us in worship today, it's, it's the most amazing motion picture of what we're trying to do in the Renewing the Promise. When you imagine all of the prayers, all of the Sunday school lessons, all of the coffees from a, a youth leader, all of the opportunities that we've had as a congregation to pour into and to influence these lives as they now get to be salt and light. We're raising a generation of missionaries to go out to all different universities and colleges and next steps in their lives so that God might be able to use this church for his greater glory. Can we give thanks to God for our seniors today? In 1977, a 49-year-old Bavarian beer maker from Germany who loved his product a little too much decided because he had seen a glimpse in a movie and a TV show somewhere of the city of San Francisco that this was his lifelong dream. And so he emptied out his savings account and he bought a plane ticket from Frankfurt, Germany all the way to San Francisco. Now, back in the 70s with these long-haul flights, sometimes you had to take a stop just to refuel the plane in order to keep going. But this Bavarian beer maker decided that as they were taking a stop in Bangor, Maine, that he didn't quite understand that they weren't in San Francisco yet. And so to let people off the plane to kind of stretch their legs, he ended up getting in a cab and heading over to the city of Bangor, Maine, began to hit the taverns and the pubs, and for three days did not realize that he was not at his final destination. He barely spoke any English, and the only way he actually figured out that he wasn't in uh, kind of in San Francisco, because he thought that maybe he was in the suburbs somewhere, because the buildings weren't as big as he thought that they would be, is that he got into a cab and he said, I want you to take me to downtown San Francisco. And the cabbie kicked him out because they thought he was crazy. A man in a story that was so popular that they began to make art and memes out of him, even though his story goes all the way back for 50 years. One of the things that his story reminds me of is our incredible tendency to wander and get lost and how we all, even though it may not look exactly like the way his did, there are times when we feel like we are at our destination, when we are still in the middle of the journey. We have not gotten to where God wants us to be. When, came to, when Jesus came to announce what he was doing, he called it the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the kingdom of heaven. And the point of this was that God's kingdom was coming on earth as it was in the skies. And that the way that this kingdom would advance would be in and through his followers and that his followers would be marked by things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control and that this was going to be a kingdom that was unlike any other kingdom. And yet the challenge for us is that we can settle for kingdoms that we think are there but we haven't really fully arrived. And so Matthew chapter 15, to me, the best analogy is, is for the Pharisees and for the disciples. They think they've gotten to the kingdom, but they're not there yet. And so today we're going to look at what does it mean to get kind of lost and distracted 
from your eternal and your final destination. And the first thing that we discover in Matthew chapter 15 is this, is that we arrive at a tradition when God is telling us to hold out for the eternity of his word. Let's look at Matthew chapter 15. We're going to look at the first two verses and then verses 6 through 9. The Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus responds, So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void. That means empty to nullify or to cancel. You have canceled the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What's happening in this story is that these religious leaders, these Pharisees, come all the way from Jerusalem. It's like a three or a four day walk all the way from Jerusalem over to the Sea of Galilee in order to confront Jesus. And the way that they're confronting Jesus is they're pointing their fingers at his followers and saying, why do your followers break the tradition of our elders? Kelly, one time when she was in her first assignment, she was 25 years old and we were recently married and she was flown to the diocese of Louisiana, there was a group of churches that were attempting to rekindle and to reconnect to the next generation. These churches had aged to the point of irrelevancy, and they were having to think about how can they be faithful with some new strategies in order to reach those new generations. And Kelly was a part of a larger study and was working with a lot of the donors to try to help to not only to help to understand this plan, but also to fuel it and to fund it. And so Kelly was in a one-on-one meeting with a woman who was a grand dame of a lady. And she had been a part of that church for oh so many decades. And they went over the plan of how the church was going to retool some things in order to reach that next generation. And then she understood the plan and they went over it and she seemed favorable. And then Kelly said, would you, are you going to be a part of the team to help to fund this? And she just looked right at Kelly and says, absolutely not. And Kelly was shocked by her honesty when this woman said, I understand this is what it'll take to reach the next generation. I care more about my church being the way it is and how I like it than I do that that would happen. At one point, she even said, I'd be willing to fund it as long as it wasn't here. There comes a point when if you're not careful, you will be more inclined to hold fast to your traditions then you do the mission and the promise and the passion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, traditions aren't even necessarily the things that we hold to that have been going on for a long time. And don't misunderstand me, traditions can be rich, they can be beautiful, they can be great things, but sometimes they can be turned into ultimate things and the tail begins to wag the dog. I have a, I have a pastor friend who didn't kind of succeed at a church in the Midwest. He thought he was going to go there for a long time, and he ended up staying for only a short period of time. And when I met with him and I asked him, why didn't it work? What wasn't the right connection between you and the, and the congregation? 
He said, Rich, I had no idea. It was a new church development. It was a new church startup. He said, I had no idea when I went there how addicted that church was to novelty. They could never do two services the same way again. They could never sing the same way. The sermon always had to be edgy and new and novel. That everything, no program, no rhythm of the year. So their tradition, if you will, was the stimulation of novelty. And the reason I'm telling you this is that, yes, you can be stuck in a tradition where the last words of the church are, we've never done it that way before, but you can also be stuck in a tradition that says, we can never do things the same way twice. And all of what is a problem with this is that we haven't gotten to our destination of adhering and holding fast to God's word, and we care about the other things around us as more than we do this right here. And I want to be plain with you, I don't want to be the pastor of a congregation that cares more about our traditions than we do the eternal word of God. And we have to understand what is to be etched in stone, what is to be scribbled in sand. So we should have traditions. We should care about the past and honor that past. But we cannot do so in the same trap that the Pharisees were in, where they thought that they were at the destination because they held fast to their traditions when they were ignoring the very words of God. They were ignoring the Ten Commandments in this story in favor of their tradition. Every time my college pastor would close the Bible, he would quote Isaiah and say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God stands forever. There is only one thing that will outlast every effort that we have, every investment that we make as a church, and that is the eternal word of God. And so that always has to be our final destination. The second thing that we tend to get distracted from or get lost in or we settle in and we don't get it to the final destination is we settle for a feeling of righteousness, a feeling of being okay, a feeling of superiority over genuine holiness. Let's keep reading in verse 10. And Jesus called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And now in verse 18, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. From out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The word that repeats over and over again in that passage, did you hear it, is the word to defile. That is a very very well-known Greek word that even people who don't speak Greek, if you're in church long enough, you'll hear this word. It is the word, the word koinonia. It's the word that we describe and the Bible describes to name our community. But it also can mean to make common. And so what Jesus is saying here is that if we're not careful, we can take something that is sacred and turn it into something that's ordinary but that the way and the process that that happens, they thought, the religious leaders at the time, is what I need to do is remain separate. I need to avoid coming into contact with anything that is unclean because the unclean will take my clean and make me unclean. 
And yet what Jesus does in his ministry is turn that kind of spirituality upside down. For in Jesus Christ, what happens is, is that Jesus is clean, makes our unclean clean. Are you tracking with this? For you see, this is different. Because the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they felt superior because they were the one who were adhering to all of this external conformity to different behaviors and practices, and that that is what made them righteousness. That is what made them holy. That is what gave them that sense of being okay. And for them, it was feeling superior to other people. And what Jesus is saying is, no, you have to look within you. For the whole purpose of the gospel is for it to get deep within us where we can become that fountain of living water where love and joy and peace and goodness and all those things pour forth from us. So the first destination that we settle for is tradition instead of settling for God, instead of going all the way to God's word. The second one that we do as religious people is we settle for some sort of substitute of superiority instead of the genuine holiness that Jesus offers. And the third false destination is that we settle for comfort when where God wants to take us is mercy. Let's keep reading in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Does this sound like Jesus to you? Is this Jesus being nice here? And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now, in order to understand what's going on here in what seems to be a very un-Jesus-like thing to say, let me give you a little bit of geography. Here is a map of the world of Jesus. This story is the farthest that Jesus ever traveled outside of Israel. Do you see those two towns kind of on the, the, along the Mediterranean Sea there? That is the towns of Tyre and Sidon. This is in modern-day Lebanon. This is definitely far into enemy territory. And so Jesus is in enemy territory, and this woman comes begging to him on behalf of of her daughter, and the only way that you will understand the dialogue, because Jesus as a rabbi is not to be talking with a pagan, he's certainly not supposed to be talking with a pagan woman, he's just supposed to be getting to wherever his final destination is, and yet he engages with her in playful banter. The only way you will understand this passage is if you read it through the lens of sarcastic playfulness. And Jesus engages with her and says, Woman, mega in Greek, great is your faith. Now, the disciples in this portion of the story, this woman makes them uncomfortable. And Jesus wants to take them to the point of pushing through their discomfort into mercy. 
one of the ways that churches can be at a false destination is that we think that this whole spiritual life is about making us feel good about ourselves and making us feel comfortable. When what Jesus wants to do is to push us beyond comfort into discomfort, to the frontiers of our lives and ministry, to go beyond boundaries of what we expect and in those places for us to become channels of God's mercy. And so comfort, if you think this is what it's all about, is a substitute destination. It is really not where you're supposed to end up. Where he wants us to end up is mercy. So tradition, superiority, comfort, and finally, scarcity. Not having enough. Let's keep reading in verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowds because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am willing, unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were what? And they took up the seven baskets full of broken pieces left over, and those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and children. Now, if you were here last week, or if you have your Bible, you can flip back to Matthew chapter 14, and you've got kind of a wait a minute moment. Haven't I already seen this episode before? Didn't Jesus just feed the 5,000? I don't understand, Jesus. you got to get some new material. You can't keep rehashing the same miracle over and over again and expect to get a different result. What's going on here? Once again, geography gives us a little bit of the clue. The feeding of the 5,000 takes place along the Israel portion of the Sea of Galilee. And when Jesus performs the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, do you remember how many baskets were left over? This is an open book exam if you want to look. 12 baskets left over. There were 12 tribes in Israel. Jesus is pulling the 12 tribes of Israel, the broken people of Israel, and he is pulling them back together again to make them whole. The feeding of the 4,000 takes place in a different place along the Sea of Galilee. It is the evil, it is the out of the boundaries, it is the pagan portion of the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus is performing the same miracle in two different locations with two very different communities and constituencies that did not mingle and mix with one another. And so Jesus enters into this pagan territory, he performs this miracle, and there are how many baskets left over? There were seven days in creation, and I told you as a part of the brand promise of this series that this is about how God is making all things new, and that when the book of Matthew begins, the word that repeats over and over again, Genesis, 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 new, 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 beginning, 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 is what Matthew is telling us the gospel of Jesus is all about. And here in the middle of it, Jesus is performing a miracle where he reminds us, yes, he is called to the lost sheep of Israel, 
and that he is pulling the lost sheep of Israel back together again, but that that is not the end of the mission, that the final destination to which Jesus is pushing is further and further past the boundaries of what we might expect the gospel of Jesus to be, and he goes into enemy territory, and he's saying, I will not stop until I renew all of creation, that that's the real destination. And so we cannot settle for these false destinations, the Bangor, Maine on the left. We want to get to the San Francisco on the right. I don't know, I'd rather probably be in Bangor, Maine than San Francisco lately, but that's just, that's a different sermon right there. Did I say that out loud? Or sometimes there's stuff that goes on and I don't know if it comes out or not. God wants to take us to his word and to holiness and to mercy and to ever unfolding layers and boundaries of his grace. Can I geek out on one thing for you real quick? Because I thought this was super cool in kind of a nerdy kind of way. So, the, can I do this? Thank you. Thank you. Only the people who have had to listen to this sermon and be subjected to it three times answer the question. They're not the target audience anymore. They could preach this message. The reformers, meaning like John Calvin, Martin Luther, kind of all of our forefathers of the founders of the church, they loved Matthew chapter 15. Why? Because the things that they held so dear in wanting to reform and renew the promise in their moment in time, things like Scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, and grace alone was exactly the antidote that needed to reform the church in the 16th and 17th centuries, and it is still the core principles of what we need today. And you have my promise for as long as you give me leadership in this church, we will stand firm, not settling for the little destinations along the way, but making sure we keep pressing on ahead for God to take us all the way deeper and further and higher into the kingdom that he has in store for us. I don't know if you have seen some of the news stories or the videos about the fact that they've developed new technology with glasses that can help somebody who is red, green, colorblind to be able to see colors for the first time. There's a woman by the name of Kristen Robinson who had saved up her money to buy some of these glasses because she was red, green, colorblind, and she wanted to put them on for a special moment in her life. So she waited until the day that she got married, right after she got married, to put these new glasses on so that she could see colors for the first time. She's looking at her bouquet here. She didn't know that the flowers had pink in them because she couldn't see the pink. She thought they were all one color. She thought her husband's eyes were blue, but in reality they were green, so she had never seen her, her husband's eyes before. They went to a fireworks show that night, and she was absolutely amazed by all of the color and the vivid array of the rainbow that was now available to her senses. And my favorite photo here 
of her face when she finally put them on. The most common description that Jesus gives of our lostness in the Bible is that we're blind and that he has come to give us sight, to give us a new vision, to be able to see the world in the way that God wants us to be able to see the world. To put a bow on the story I shared with you earlier about Erwin Cruz, remember that Bavarian beer maker? He's in Bangor, Maine, and eventually kind of the news picks up what he's done, and the San Francisco examiner pays the way for him to finish his trip and to make it to San Francisco. And this guy who barely speaks a word of English did not enter San Francisco just as an ordinary lost tourist, but as an honored guest. This is what the gospel has done for us. You cannot get to your destination on your own. A great price has been paid for you and me. And that God will carry us to that final destination. And when we get to that final destination, we will no longer be defined by our lostness, but by being an honored guest. And I pray that you and I have enough of the eyes of great faith to be able to look at the world in the same way that she sees the new colors. That's the invitation. And let us pray. God, forgive us for getting lost and for settling for what we thought was the end of the road, but we still have a long way to go. Thank you for the promise of your kingdom and of heaven coming on earth and the eternal destiny you have for us. And we know we're not there yet. Help us to cherish traditions that we are to keep, but never to see them as more important than your word. Help us, O oh God, to know that we should not take the sacred and turn it into common, that what you have given within us is the true possibility of genuine holiness that can only come from you. Thank you that you are the one thing that can make us clean. Father, will you enable us to have mega faith and to push beyond our comfort zones into the, into the vistas of your mercy and help us to see grace that is beyond our scarcity mindsets and that you will not stop until every basket is full of your abundance. Help us to see again, O oh God. Thank you that you've paved the way. And we now gather and sing, not as lost sheep, but as honored guests. In Jesus' name, 